0: for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are, or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patron, Erica. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Erica and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. We also wanted to let you know that we've dropped a new design on our merch store. It says, this is Becca, this is Molly, we're here to talk about Jane Austen. It sounds very weird doing that by myself. Anyway, we're really excited about this design and we wanted to thank the incredible team at TeePublic for creating this for us. So be sure to check out the store at the link in our episode description. And now, enjoy part two of our discussion of the 2008 mini series of Sense
1: and Sensibility with our guests, Mel and Mike.
2: This is Mike.
1: This is Mel.
2: We're here to talk about Jane Austen.
1: The 2008 uh, adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. Uh, I I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And that's the show.
3: Uh, So this is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen with our significant others again.
0: We are here to talk about Jane Austen with our significant others. We've got Mike and Mel, as you heard, back with us again if you are joining us for the first time, we would strongly recommend going back and listening to the episode immediately preceding this at least, but preferably go back to the beginning of the season. But, you know, live your life, do what you want. Um, but that in that episode, we asked Mike and Mel to tell us all about their Jane Austen
3: takes. Um, mostly, they don't know much about her. So this <laughs> has been really fun. Yes. It's been a minute since we've had a guest on the podcast who has no point of reference. For Jane Austen other than knowing who we two are
2: other than listening to this podcast exactly.
3: so should we just jump back right in yes because we made it through literally none of this uh, adaptation the first episode and we recorded
0: an hour and 40 minutes of material we'll see how long that episode ends up being it's a lot of stuff there's a
3: lot to say and we took a lot of breaks yes
2: We made a lot of dumb jokes.
3: And a lot of that is just set for the patrons. (laughs) So I hope uh, if you're looking to hear
0: us just be goofy, you can definitely head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice and sign up for our $5 tier because at that tier you get outtakes from our episodes like once a month and we just drop us being silly and, and not knowing what to talk about so we just
3: talk about silly things. Yes. And if you want even more pure chaos, I believe at our $5 tier, you also get us making cocktails. That's at our $7 tier. So uh, give us more money. If you're richy rich <laughs> and you want to you wanna drink with us, That that is how you do it.
0: But if you're not, if you don't want to give us money at all and you're just here for the free content, that's totally understandable because that's
3: why we listen to podcasts, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, free content.
0: Yeah, back to the free content, back to the first half of the 2008 adaptation of Sense and Sensibility written by Andrew Davies. Where we left off, we had just gotten
3: our girls out of Norland Park. And they are headed to Barton Cottage, which this adaptation leans in on the seaside tale. Oh, yeah. It's
0: like ocean crashing onto rocks, foaming. And Margaret leans out of the carriage and goes look, it's the sea. Before we get there, though, we have a carriage ride that I wanted to draw attention to. They're sitting in an order. Mrs. Dashwood is sitting next to Margaret and Eleanor is sitting next to Marianne. And then we have this like montage of them riding through the countryside. And they all just at some point switched seats. And we we like are suddenly looking at Margaret asleep on Eleanor's shoulder and
3: Marianne with Mrs. Dashwood. Was this an editing glitch? Presumably they stop every so often. Oh, to like pee? To stretch, Maybe just to stretch their legs. Yeah, stretch their legs, pee. The guy who's carrying the shit on the back can like re- like stretch out a little bit. You're right.
0: You're right. You're right. Okay. Well, I was thinking it was a glitch in the movie, but you're right. They probably... No, it
3: actually probably is a glitch in the movie as well.
0: But you're right. They, they have to go to the bathroom. They have to stop and get some McDonald's,
3: you know. I fully love the idea that in Jane Austen times they just had to hike up their skirts and just like squat on a road trip. They probably did. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's a common movie mistake because the same thing happens in Jurassic Park. If you watch the movie carefully, when they're in the helicopter, they're sitting in a certain uh, order. And when they land and get out of the helicopter, they get out in a completely different order.
3: <laughs> See, my boyfriend can't tell you a thing about Jane Austen, but he can tell you every fact on Earth about Jurassic
1: Park. It's true. Have you seen Jurassic Park? Uh, Once when I was very young. Cool. Me either. But I just went to Jurassic Park, the Jurassic Park section of Universal Studios. And uh, so she's an expert. It, I'm an expert. <laughs>
2: Mel knows all the dinosaurs.
1: I can name two dinosaurs, so I'm an expert. What are the two dinosaurs that you can name, Mel? A, a Tyrannosaurus Rex and a Velociraptor. Did I say those right?
2: Uh, yes, and they're the only two that matter. All right, so cool, cool, that's,
1: that's,
0: cool. That's, all you need to know. I can name some other dinosaurs, and this is obviously relevant to Jane Austen.
3: Uh, Brontosaurus. Oh, yeah, I knew that one. Triceratops. All right, well, when you say it, I know Classic Molly naming the vegans. <laughs>
1: anything about them I just like yeah. I babysat these kids once who oh, which reminds me Barney
2: my mother oh Ooh,
0: sick burn okay. And, okay. anyway speaking of people calling their moms old that happens in this part great. <laughs> great segue vroom vroom so when everyone's asleep in the carriage Eleanor opens up her gift and that's when she finds that it's a sketchbook and she's got
3: like tears in her eyes and it's very pure that one is like that really gets to me as as a moment between Edward and Eleanor Building like the chemistry and the love between them. That was yeah. a sweet
1: gift. That was really thoughtful, in my opinion.
3: Dominic Cooper, man, yeah. thinks of everything.
1: Um, no, Dan Stevens. Nope, not that was the wrong person. We're we're getting to a we're getting ahead of ourselves. Wait, I thought it was um. Wait, I can it's, do it's, this. Dan it, Stevens. Dan Stevens. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'm gonna cut
0: myself saying that because I keep doing that. Okay,
3: <laughs> no, you leave it in. You leave it in. Let them know. Let them know your shame. Molly's <laughs> only human. Everybody, I'm only human.
0: Only human. Beautiful. So they arrive at the cottage and to this version of the cottage
3: is a little bit more haunted than the 1995 they make a lot more effort it looks almost like the same cottage but more weathered they make an effort to make it a little shabbier
0: yeah and well i think that part of it definitely has to do with how seaside this really is because the other one was next to like a lake and this is like next to salt waves air blowing against the windows and sand getting in the cracks and stuff. So it definitely is weathered. Um, this vibe when they get in and they're looking around and they're all wearing their fancy clothes. And um, Mrs. Dashwood in particular looks offended. But she's like not offended, but like scared of everything. This was very the Rose family arriving at the Schitt's Creek
3: Motel. This is the third time we've made this comparison and it continues to be correct.
0: Yeah, I think. And and this is when. So for my. Well, Mike was listening at this time, but this is before I knew you, uh, Mel. Mm-hmm when we started reading this book, the they lose all their money and have to go move into this little house. And I was like, this is like Shits Creek. Edition. And then I was like, is this book just Shits Creek? Or is Shits Creek based on sense and sensibility? And we put out a poll and all our listeners were like, Shut up, Molly. But I was
3: like, I stand by it and I do. I still think David as Eleanor and Alexa as Marianne is very much a thing. Oh, Completely. Oh, Eleanor. <laughs> Ew, Eleanor. <laughs> that's so accurate. You
2: <laughs> just you just fold it in. You just fold in the cheese.
3: That that's the vibes of Eleanor trying to make a fire here. Yes.
0: Oh my
2: god. It is literally that's a one Yeah. That's perfect.
0: Yeah. Mrs. Dash would be like, yeah, just just strike the wood against the thing. And she's like, what do you mean strike it? I've never struck wood before. Exactly. So Marianne then finds the piano in the house and she plunks the keys and it's out of tune and she closes it immediately and it's all covered in dust and it's very sad. And then Mrs. Dashwood turns to Eleanor and she's like, can we really settle down here, do you think? And Eleanor's like, we must. Mm. And that's another instance of Eleanor being asked to be the caretaker of this family and like her mom's looking to her for
3: guidance. And then who rolls up in that moment?
0: I'll tell you who rolls up, but I want to first say... That Mel's question for who rolls up is the best. So John Middleton rolls in and <laughs> I don't
1: remember what this is gonna be.
0: And Mel goes, Is he from Harry Potter? Who is it? And I was like, I don't know, who do you think it is? And she goes, Is it Flitwick? And I was like, no. And she was like, Is it Professor Sprout? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, she got it on the third guess. It's Arthur Weasley.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I just wanna be clear: I've 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 read the first three Harry Potters and I've seen the first three movies. And this is, uh, I'm ashamed of myself. And you still thought it was Professor Sprout. Yeah. I, a lot has happened in the last year and a half from when I from when I <laughs> last left off on Harry
3: Potter. That's fair. That's very fair. But he, he makes for an amazing Sir John. He is the perfect Sir John. In fact, he's been Sir John all along. I just didn't know it yet. I think
1: we're coming up close on another one of my favorite quotes, which was from John. Company, company, where would we be without company? Yeah. It was just like a really sweet line. I was like, Oh, he loves a
3: party. He strikes the perfect balance between a guy who's just like really sweet and wants friends and a guy who's like really creepy and needs to be out of your personal space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He comes in and he invites them to dine with them every night. And he also looks at the three girls and he's like, You're so beautiful. We're gonna get you all married off. And they all are like, uh, Margaret's Margaret's a a child. Yeah. And he was like, oh, really? OK, well, I believe you. I'll leave it to the ladies. You'll love my mother-in-law. And I like that, that he backs off
3: um, and they, they're they able to giggle at him. And also, he, he you can see it in the film. He's like fully six inches from Mrs. Dashwood's face at some point. And just the way he acts, he acts like he has bad breath. Yeah. <laughs> and then meanwhile, we cut to his wife, who also looks like she smells bad, but sort of in a more vampire way. Yeah, I feel like she smells like mothballs. Yeah, or like rotting flesh. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or dank porcelain. That's the vibe I got.
3: Dank porcelain.
2: Like like a toilet bowl, but like oh, a fancy okay. toilet oh,
3: bowl. Oh, a fancy toilet bowl, totally.
0: Like, like she, still
2: stinky, but fancy, stinky.
3: Like fancy, but with B.O.
0: Yeah. Yes. So to clarify for our listeners, we cut to M- Lady Middleton, who they have made like... She was an unnecessary character, and I see that now. But they have made her the most boring and uppity, but, like, just she doesn't say anything. And she's just sitting there, not doing anything, just completely stone-faced with her children all running around her. And then, like, one daughter next to her looking miserable, and they look like they're straight out of a
3: horror film. And then you have John Middleton standing next to her with the cutest puppy.
0: Yeah, it's a really good puppy. Really cute puppy. And then when uh, Mrs. Jennings comes in, she and John have kind of a flirty relationship. Anyone else notice that? Just me?
2: Okay, so I noticed this. And when I was watching it, I was I was confused because, like, I remember, like, listening to you guys read through the book. But then I was like, wait a minute. Why do like why are these two acting like they're the married ones? Yeah, like they have this like flirty, like bickering couple kind of vibe going on, and then Becca had to be like, "No, he's he's married to her," and I was like, "To the like, she's like half his age and is like practically a set piece." Mm-hmm.
3: I maintain that one of the most underrated jokes that is subtly placed into the story is how well Charlotte would have been suited to marrying. John Middleton and how well Lady Middleton would have been suited to being married to Mr. Palmer.
0: Now, here's a question, Um, because it's been a while since we read the book and I'm coming out of the 1995. In this first half of the 2008, we don't meet Charlotte or Mr. Palmer. We don't. Did the 1995 move us meeting them earlier than we meet them in the book? Or did this adaptation cut them? They, the 1995 moves them earlier. Okay. Okay. Phew. <laughs> I was worried because now that I've seen Hugh Laurie, I want to see what this one does with him in comparison. Mm. Becca will neither confirm nor
1: deny. I guess. Yep. Anyway, let's go on. Yes. Is
2: Pooter in this? No. <sighs> Devastating.
1: Yeah. Just kidding. It doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> the most important character in Jane Austen:
1: Pooter the parrot. Pooter the
0: parrot. He's a parrot. Oh and sure. And Pigeon the man. When they all turn and look at the Dashwood girls, and it's Missus Jennings and John and all of the the children and the dog and everyone. I want to make a meme of that image of them all staring at the Dashwoods, but then add Bernie in the chair with the mittens. I know it's a long time ago now, but I still am gonna do
3: it. I think. <laughs> You missed your opportunity, but you can pop it in anyway.
0: I'm going to pop it in anyway, because, you know, we might as well bring that meme back. Yeah, it's classic Molly behind the
1: curve verdict
3: over here. Wow. (laughs) Savage. Oh, man, we just watched a dispute. Yeah, (laughs) this relationship is on thin ice.
0: Oh, no. So we cut to dinner. And we get this moment where Margaret reveals that Eleanor has left her heart behind in Sussex. And Mrs. Jennings is like, oh, well, we have a a guest coming that's going to do for one of you. And Mr. uh, Sir John is like, oh, Colonel Brandon. Yes, yes, yes. I love how seriously he takes this also.
3: (laughs) He's like, "Mm. Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. To him, Mrs. Jennings is the ultimate authority on matchmaking.
0: Yeah, and he loves it. He eats it up. (laughs) Then we tell a little story about Colonel Brandon. Where, like, they say he got his heart broken and he's never loved another woman since. And
3: Marion's like, good.
0: Marion, not like that, though. She says, you say he stayed faithful to his true love? And then she kind of raises her eyebrows a little bit and she goes, I like that. And it is
3: so, like, on the nose. It's like, oh. These two are going to end up together, and it's so suggestive because the uh, the irony is her being like, "Yeah, it's it's as it should be, first love, mm-hmm.
0: first love." And yes, that is the irony, isn't it? Is this where she also
1: says, "When I fall in love, it will be forever"? Yes, yes, I, I liked that. When I, liked- I
3: fall in
1: love,
0: it will be forever, or I'll never
1: fall. We don't want to pay for the song, Molly. All right, okay. It's a jazz standard. Is that so. from? Is that from Jurassic Park? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a jazz standard.
0: Cool. <laughs> nice. Okay, hmm. so anyway, immediately after Marianne's like, when I fall in love, it will be forever. Brandon enters like right on cue and they're like, Colonel Brandon, we were just talking about you. Now this Brandon is played by
1: David Morrissey, I believe.
2: David Morrissey, who I am a big fan of.
1: We wrote here, poll: does, does David Morrissey look like Piers Morgan? Anyone, anyone?
2: Does he look like Pierce? He does a little bit. He's got like the same kind of chin going on.
1: Yeah, I want to say Piers Morgan, but if Piers
0: Morgan was a smokestack. How dare you? Piers Morgan is so
1: not attractive. This guy is hot. All right, so that's like the one discrepancy between the two of them, (laughs) is that one's hot and one isn't, but otherwise identical.
2: (laughs) David Morrissey, very hot. I know David Morrissey. Uh, I've already talked about how I love zombies with my pride and prejudice and zombie love. Uh, I know David Morrissey because he played a spectacular villain on the walking dead. And it was so funny seeing him in this because in the walking dead, he, first of all, he's like from the South. So he like speaks with a Southern accent, not the case in this, but he is also this sort of like charming, like he's like a charming villain. You know, like, like you want to walk up and shake his hand and then he's going to like chop your hand off and feed it to a zombie. Yeah. So it was very, very disturbing to see, like when he like walked into the room, I was like, it's yeah, it's the
3: governor. Meanwhile, he's playing Brandon, the gentlest and loveliest of men.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a theme, I guess, to have people who usually play villains play Brandon. I guess in so. Sense and Sensibility. Um.
3: Have you read my note yet, Becca? Yes, I'm choosing to ignore your note. It doesn't exist in my brain.
2: What what does the (laughs) note say? That she likes
3: David Morrissey's Brandon better than she likes Ellen Rickman's Brandon. Yes. Mike, you agree? I'm team
2: Molly on this.
3: I'm so sorry to our fans. I'm going to say this now. Becca's breaking up with me. No, 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 no. This isn't the end of the podcast yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Wait till you hit the end of the series because you can't really judge it based on like one scene or two scenes. You have to judge based on the whole thing. Sure.
0: Now, this doesn't this is not something against Alan Rickman or his performance, but I will say so far, what I like about this Brandon is that he plays really well the kind of Darcy-ness of Brandon, where he's able to express himself really well in private. But as soon as he gets in front of a pretty girl, he's like, you're fine. And I really like that about him. I also um, he's I just uh,
3: find him uh, pretty hot. He's he's OK. He is hotter than Alan Rickman. I'll give you that. But for me, like, I really like this Brandon. He's very good. And he but he plays Brandon a little bit more gruff. But I think Brandon is maybe. See, I like alan rickman's take on him as so gentle and like tender and vulnerable but like masked behind the niceties of his era i should say Mm -hmm. but that that being said it's like i don't want to i don't want to hate on david morrissey's colonel brandon just because i am more of a fan of alan rickman but for me that was the sticking point of this adaptation is that i just can't compare anybody to Uh, Alan Richards, Colonel Brandon, and I'm sure we'll have a
0: longer discussion about this at the end. That
2: being said, Molly, here we go, Team David Morrissey. (gasps) It's my phone background. If you're going to make Alan Rickman your background, David Morrissey's my phone background. Here we go. I
0: was thinking about it too. I was like, do I, here's the thing. This is the thing that I had the urge to make Alan Rickman, my phone background. I didn't have the urge to make David Morrissey, my phone background, even though I do find him hotter
3: and a better Brandon, there's just something about Alan Rickman that makes you want. That's the thing. It's just, there's something magical. There's lightning and a bottle in that performance. And, uh, it's not to take away from David Morrissey's performance of Colonel Brandon. It's just
1: like, something about Alan Rickman's Colonel Brandon is special. Also, your phone background was Alan Rickman, and then it was a picture of me, so I'd be really upset if now it was David Morris.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the other thing, is that like now I felt like I was... Because before it was like... I don't remember what it was before Alan Rickman, but... I think it was Amy Rose. It was probably my dog, yeah. Mm. And then it was Alan Rickman, and then when I actually got in a relationship, I didn't have to fantasize about Alan Rickman anymore.
1: (laughs) So I made Mel my phone background, and now, yeah, I would be... I would be remiss. But now we have a backup option. You know, David Morrissey isn't going anywhere. Uh, All right, yeah. In just case in case, case we, we need. Yeah. Because of this podcast. So, yeah. I'm on thin ice, everybody. I said she's uh,
3: behind the curve. You <laughs> also said that he looks like Piers Morgan, which is honestly the most offensive thing I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so that's That's two strikes against me, which... Uh, yeah, exactly. You're on thin thin ice, I, Mel. I can't Mel. believe I was invited back. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't have any other options. very <laughs> bottom of the barrel over here.
0: So, hmm. where were we? He enters. <laughs> yep, and um, everyone's sitting around later, listening to Marianne play. I had to draw attention to the creepy doll in the background of this scene. I I don't remember what exactly I'm I'm drawing attention to there, but I remember that there was a doll mm-hmm.
3: and it was creepy. Mm-hmm. Are we Are we gonna skate over? Um, I believe it was Mrs. Jennings go. What do you think, Colonel? One of them will do for you. Oh, it was uh, like,
0: what do you think, Mrs. Dashwood? One of them—he'll do for one of them, don't you think? And then Mrs. Dashwood's like, Ugh. I
3: mean, just like the cringe. I—I I have to say this—the the way that it's captured in this one, like the cringe of Mrs. Jennings and John Middleton, is so like visceral. You get Marianne's point of, I don't care how nice they are, uh, I can't be around them too long. It's interesting because at the same time, I actually felt like
0: while I understood the cringe on her part more, they are much less reactive towards it than they were in the 95. Like they it almost seems like they are able to laugh at
3: them a little bit more and not They aren't as viscerally embarrassed by them or like disdainful. I will say the one thing I really don't like that they do in this is that they give Mrs. Jennings and John Middleton kind of Cockney-ish accents, which I find weird. Oh, did they? Yeah, especially Mrs. Jennings. And I was like, "Uh, these are pretty rich people. Well, I guess they're in the countryside.
0: But they live in London most of the time, don't they? Or Mrs. Jennings. Yeah,
3: the, I mean, they're, they're very rich. I, I mean, isn't John Middleton a lord? Can't you be cockney and rich? Isn't cockney a region? I don't know.
2: No, it's a considered like improper. Uh, it's the
3: low class. It's like um, the accent that uh, Jane Austen writes bits of the steel dialogue in. And I'm like, wouldn't they have an RP sort of situation going on? Oh, yeah. Wait, there was an awkward moment,
0: <laughs> that awkward moment when when um John is talking with Brandon and he's like, it's Marianne, ain't it? But it's it's so not Cockney. Like, yeah, he's like trying to be Cockney, but it's also Arthur Weasley. And he's like so proper.
3: It gets that way with Mrs. Jennings at points, too. And I'm like, they're trying to declass these people. But the point is not that they're like low class necessarily it's the point the point is that they act low class when they should know better you know what's interesting i think a comparison between this and the
0: 95 is the 95 is that this movie is not doing so well on the nuances of like the class conflict that this story the economics of dating and jade
3: Austen. grab
0: the sound effect yes. yes uh because there is it's not just like rich v poor you know um in the book and i think this movie is just like simplifying it a little bit this uh series is simplifying it a little
3: bit because it's i don't know 2008 i think um we can reserve judgment because again you're not all the way through yet so we'll see how you feel at the end but i mean we'll put a pin in it the we'll put a pin in that conversation but i will say like the john and john middleton and mrs jennings accents were like nah (laughs) anyway back to the story yes okay so later, though, Marianne's playing the piano, and afterwards,
0: John asks Brandon what he thought of Marianne's playing really loudly, and Brandon's like, "Remarkable." And you can see Marianne like, "Hmm, fine." Like she, she, she's like Tanger Bell. She needs applause to live. Anyway, that was a Glee reference.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's also a Mary Martin Peter Pan reference. I know I know what Peter Pan is. I know it. I, but what? Who's Mary Martin? Have you not watched like Mary Martin live action Peter Pan? Probably. Yeah, Molly, everyone has seen it, including me. <laughs> <laughs> but j- just in case anybody hasn't seen it, which is not Mel. Um, no, no, I have
1: famously seen this.
3: <laughs> famously, Mel has seen this. Um, so it's, it's like an old-timey live recording of a musical of Peter Pan. Um, Mary Martin playing Peter herself. Like you've seen the old musical version of Peter I've Pan, seen right? I Peter Pan. The reference that I was making was
0: I'm like Tinkerbell Finn, I need applause to live. Well, yes, but that's a reference to to glee. The that's me. Made... I know what Peter Pan. I know the play Peter Pan. I know that Tinkerbell needs to be
1: clapped alive at the end. I know. By the audience. Yeah, I know. Spoiler alert. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it.
2: Listen, the most important <laughs> Peter Pan performance is when Christopher Walken played Captain Hook. Ugh. That was the most important Peter Pan performance ever.
1: So wait, which one did you
0: watch? I've seen Peter Pan. I don't know which one I've seen. I've seen <laughs> okay. that. I've probably seen that Peter Pan. And I I know that Tinkerbell needs applause to live because actually I have a play that I did in high school where there's like this. It's a it's a Dur- uh, Christopher Durang play and. Um, and in the end, this one character is like giving this monologue about how she went to see this production of Peter Pan and and everyone started dying and everyone was like, you need to clap to keep us alive. But they were like actually dying and it was like horrible. Anyway, but I know that Tinkerbell needs a pause to live. I was actually referencing Glee, though, because... Rachel Barry
3: says, I'm like Tinkerbell Finn. I need applause to live. I feel like we've dwelt on this too long. All this to say, I actually think there's a little heat in that moment between Marianne and Brandon. When he says remarkable. And she kind of looks at him with that fiery gaze. This Marianne has a real fire to her gaze. Yes. She looks turned on very easily.
0: Yes. This Marianne is hot. Yes. But then, but, but this is, this scene to me is like the quintessential who Brandon is because after he says that he goes to Eleanor and he's like your sister plays with such a passion and he's like going on about how great she is and how he knew someone once who played with her passion but Marianne has a better technique and Eleanor's like you know, you could tell her yourself. Here she comes. And then Marianne comes over and she goes, We were just talking about your playing. And Marianne goes, Oh, and he goes, Yes, remarkable. And she goes, Yeah, you said. Yeah. She's like, I know. Oh, like what else? And he's like, um, I noticed that you played the last movement appassionato when the composer marked it allegro. This is not flirting, Brandon. And she's like, she's like, Uh, and did you find that uh good, bad? And he's like And he's I- like,
3: I found it original.
0: Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like, oh, what a
3: Original outfit you're wearing.
0: This
2: is what we call negging. Uh, it's very toxic. At,
3: it's actually accidental negging, which is even worse. Can you remind me, because I remember,
0: but some people might not have listened to season one, what that word means. I forgot.
3: No, I'm laughing because bitch has <laughs> been dating women for so long. <laughs> is it not something women do? I mean, they probably do, but it's it's just like such a man thing to do. Yay! It's the... Um, technique of flirting by like mildly insulting someone Ah. to make them feel bad about themselves but then like adding in a touch of a compliment in there as if that's like to bring them in a little closer what's like Mm. like i'm surprised that i want to sleep with you but i do
1: that just made my stomach
3: do a backflip that entire phrase (laughs) like in a good way or what's a good example of negging um collins collins oh yeah collins is is very into negging The whole, like, I am so happy to marry you and no one else will because of your circumstance. Mm -hmm. So, like, are you sure you want to say no to me? I'm really happy to marry you. Like, that sort of thing. And it is something that uh, men do, (laughs) just generally. And people of all genders can neg. But it's just something that every, I I believe every straight woman has experienced and every woman who consistently dates men has experienced probably also something that um, anyone who dates Men has experienced. That being said, Colonel Brandon does not seem to be actively trying to nag Marianne here. I think that makes it funnier because he seems to accidentally be nagging Marianne here. Which
0: is why I'm saying
3: that he's a little Darcy because he's like, "Mm, yeah, good job playing that movement. He does have a little human disaster going on here. Yeah.
0: Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love in Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. Then the next day, they are just doing things around the house when Margaret sees Colonel Brandon coming,
1: and she goes, it's Colonel Brandon. And Mel has something she wants to say about this scene. Okay, yeah. So I had never, like, I guess I've never seen a Regency-era thing, but uh, when everyone just springs into action to start cleaning up the house, I was like, why are they all freaking out? And Molly was like, oh, this is just what what people do, like... (laughs) I was like, a man is coming. So like every, (laughs) I don't know, everything just had to be in its perfect order. It was as if high schoolers like threw a party and then they're like, well, it's like the Aaron's party music video. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, mom and dad are coming home. Clean up the house. And it's like, quick, quick, quick. I just loved, I loved the panic that set in.
3: It is a consistent trope in Jane Austen adaptations that when a man is coming, particularly an eligible bachelor, you have to frantically clean and get ready. <laughs>
1: That's incredible. And it I, has I to loved, be frantic. It must, like, right. It can't just be a calm cleaning. It was like the the... Time is ticking, and it must be done now. Exactly. That made me laugh. Eleanor, take your apron off. (laughs) It can't look like I was working. It was so chaotic. My heart was racing.
0: So they clean up, and Colonel Brandon comes in, and he's like, I was just a Delaford. I brought you these flowers, Mrs. Dashwood, and he gives her a beautiful bouquet. And then he's like, and Marianne, I saw some music I thought you might like. And I wanted to say that I thought this movie or this the miniseries is doing a really good job of making Marianne like him, of like showing her liking him and their friendship, because I forgot. But in the book, like they are friends before she figures out that he likes her and freaks out. And So he brings her music and she's like, oh, my God, like this is you're overestimating my abilities. And he's like, I don't think I am. And they have a
1: sweet moment. And
3: I swooned. This adaptation really does show Brandon as an eligible suitor before Willoughby even enters the picture. Also, Mike pointed this out. But their their walkway is so short that the uh, David Morrissey has to, like, duck under it, which is just a great touch.
2: As a tall man standing at six foot two, I sympathize completely with having to duck, especially in, like, for some reason, like, a lot of, and I feel like this was explained to me once, but, like, a lot of, like, seaside homes have very, like, short doorways or something because apparently, like. Something like sailors had to be short because like when you go like underneath, you had to be like short to be able to like. Fit and that's not even under... to talk
3: of the gnomes. What? That guess drunk. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
2: what? Anyhow, my point being is that I grew up on Long Island where there was a lot of seaside homes and a lot of lighthouses. And I have hit my head on a number of doorways. I see you, Colonel Brandon.
0: Colonel Brandon, you are seen, you are heard. (laughs) Your struggles are real. Anyway, yeah, so Marianne practices the music, and we get this little montage, and we're watching him outside, walking with his birds that he's killed and his little dogs, and then she's playing the music, and it cuts to, or not cuts to, but it, like, fades into her playing the music and him turning the pages for her, Mm -hmm. and she looks up at him, and she has so much trust in her face, like, Thank you for turning the pages for me and they're having this like sweet little moment and Mrs. Jennings meanwhile on the other side of the room is like oh yes he's besotted
3: she's made quite a conquest of him uh that'll be a great match and they're like uh, what side note this is where i noticed her having a slightly cockney accent and if you go back and listen you will hear it mm. And I also love that it's that thing that Mrs. Jennings does where she's like, I'm short sure of it. He's obsessed with her. And they're like, oh, has he said something? She's like, no, but I know. It's more <laughs> yeah. implied.
1: So pride is more implied. I'm so sorry. That's from Legally Blonde, the musical, uh, which Mel has famously seen. A reference I, I do know pretty well.
3: I, I love that of all the cultural references, that's the one you immediately jumped to. It's like, come on, guys, chill.
1: Yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay listeners uh quick poll okay
3: wait this is this is great our listeners are gonna hear this because they have to so the first time i met mel uh the four of us went out for a drink it was lovely and um mel and molly started having a clearly like a couples debate that was ongoing yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. mel turns to me and she goes hey becca do you know this line come on guys chill and did you know it becca i did not know it and uh it turns out that Mel had decided this was a really iconic line. So listeners, if you want to write into our Instagram and tell us what Come On Guys Chill is from, um, then you can
0: try. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll post a quiz and I'll say, what is Come On Guys Chill from? And then I'll list four things. Yeah. And that, and then people can
1: vote. Yeah. One more time. The cadence is, come on guys, chill. So there it is. <laughs> I think it's it's more... Come on, guys, chill. No. I feel
0: like it's It's a little more-
3: Come on, guys, chill. I think
0: the come on, guys is not that emphasized. It's more like- Come on guys, chill. No. It's par- no well, that, wanna... That's
3: it. That's it right there.
1: Mike, you want to give it a try? No, it's chill. It's...
2: Come on guys, chill. No,
1: you're Okay, all three of you are really far off. I'm I we can all agree Mike was wrong. <laughs> I'm really confident in this. Anyway,
0: back to this movie. <laughs> yes. That's completely different. It's not from Sense and Sensibility 2008. We can tell you that. It's also not from the 95, just in case anyone was curious. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it might be from Pride and Prejudice. Who knows? Come on guys, chill. Actually, okay, that she's yeah. right. She's right. <laughs> Come on, guys, chill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, (laughs) anyway. It's
2: very important.
0: I can't wait to see what everybody guesses. After we find out that Brandon has a crush on Marianne, maybe, we cut to Marianne finding out that Brandon has a crush on her, and she's walking, and she's wearing, I want to like call out her Princess Diana yellow jacket, Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's walking up the thing, and she's like, is this what everyone thinks? Everyone knows he has a crush on me but me? And they're like, is that such a big
3: deal? And she's like, yeah, he's old. Mm-hmm. And oh, and this is the moment we talked about in the last episode, right? When we, she's like, if he's like, I, I, he's only five years younger than me and I'm not decrepit. Yeah, Mrs. Dashwood says that. And Marianne's like, yeah, but he's too
0: old for me. And Mrs. Dashwood's like, girls of 17 have married men of 35
3: before, I think. And we realize that that's probably the age difference between her and Henry Dashwood. Very, very big age difference between that couple. Also, I just want to point this out. Um, I don't know if it's period accurate. I don't think it is. But the decision to put Marianne in just numerous headbands is something I love in this. Those like hair wraps she has. Mm-hmm. They're so beautiful. They're so romantic. She's got this long curly hair. I like want to wear them myself, but I also don't have curly hair, so it wouldn't work on me. But I love them.
0: Next scene. Well, before we get to the next scene, Eleanor is like, is it really such a big deal? I mean, you like him, right? And Marianne's like, well, yeah, I do like him, but only because he's the only person I can have an intelligent conversation with on this whole beach. And um, so fucking seaside on the seaside. Um, she's like, I'm never going to be able to talk to him again by myself. And you, they're all giggling about it a little bit. So it doesn't seem so serious.
3: She's way more offended in the book.
0: Yes. Mm. She's like, she's like, how could like she just does a hard shift and she does after this, she does like run away whenever he's around, which is really so sad because they were friends
3: and that is what makes this movie uh, tearing at my heartstrings. It's such a teenager thing to do is to like find out your friend has a crush on you and just start avoiding him. I've done that before. Me too. One time. In seventh grade, I saw you decide to tell the
0: story. I was like, <laughs> I, was like oh, I don't think he listens to this. Um, a friend of mine had told me that he liked me and like asked me out, and I was like, um, can I get back to you? And I was passing notes with another friend of mine in French class about it. We we're like passing notes back and forth, like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I like him as a friend, but I don't like him as more than a friend. Like, what do you think I should do? We we're passing notes, and my teacher was like. Let me see that note that you're passing. And we were like, oh fuck. And she took it and he was in the class and she read it (gasps) out loud Uh to the class as punishment. And thank God I hadn't like said his name in it, but he knew because he had just asked me out that day. And so I like got up and it was the middle of class and I was in seventh grade. But I got up and I stormed out of the classroom and I just like left
3: I feel like that's really cruel for a teacher to do yeah no it was
0: horrible (laughs) like you don't need to go that hard and then I avoided him for a while I think probably so then we cut to Margaret making a string of shells which we saw jingling in the title sequence just in case you were questioning whether or not this was a seaside tale oh yeah it's a
2: seaside tale (laughs) it's a seaside
0: tale it's a seaside tale so we cut to Colonel Brandon arriving for a visit and Marianne is like come on Meg we're out of here. And Margaret's like, "Uh, I don't want to go for a walk. And she's like, yes you do and she drags Margaret out of the back door of the cottage and up into the hills
1: and Margaret's like I don't want to do this it's gonna rain and Marianne's like it's not gonna rain specifically I want to say Marianne says we will walk here at least two hours and that will come into play later for something a parallel I recognize because I'm a nerd with numbers so I'll come back to that but I wanted to say that quote I think I know what you're gonna say but we'll we'll get back to it maybe and then I love Margaret she's just like I don't like this Marianne I'm all wet and I was like "Ah, I, I feel for Margaret I never like. I'm always slightly uncomfortable so uh, I was like this poor kid yeah just being dragged in the rain
0: it's like cutting back and forth between Marianne and Margaret marching through the rain and Colonel Brandon sitting silently with Eleanor and Mrs. Dashwood <laughs> sipping tea in silence it's so awkward yeah so while Marianne and Margaret are like in the rain Colonel Brandon gets up to leave and Mrs. Dashwood's like Marianne will be very sad to have missed you. She'll want to thank you for the books because he had brought her some books.
3: And he's like, no, I've overstayed my welcome. And he it's like he knows knows. she's avoiding him. Yeah.
0: There's no way not to because also Mrs. Dashwood and Eleanor are just like glancing back and forth the entire time. No
3: chill. No chill. No chill. None.
0: Then Marianne... Is like standing up on the cliffs, and Margaret's like, "I want to go home," and Marianne's like, "A little rain never hurt anyone." Cue her just falling backwards off a cliff.
2: Like <laughs> <laughs> you can hear like the slide whistle, like
0: woo. It's a lot more dramatic in this one than it was in the '95. Yeah, she, like, falls on a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it looks like she,
3: like, whacks her head on a rock down there or something. She's, like, sprawled out below. And then uh, Willoughby comes by and doesn't almost hit Margaret with his horse. And he drops down.
1: And lo and behold, it is Dominic Cooper playing Willoughby. And if you're curious where you might know him from... Uh, This is where I think Margaret comes in and she's screaming and she says, mama, mama. And I'm like, mama, Mia, it's Dominic Cooper. Yeah, that was my parallel.
3: Oh, that's so smart. See that there are two types of people in the world. People who know Dominic Cooper from Mamma Mia and people who know Dominic Cooper from Captain, Captain America, America, the first Avenger.
2: Yeah, it's Captain America for me.
1: I'm the first one for anyone wondering. Yeah, me too. And we're the second. Yeah, that's so funny because we both were like, oh my God, it's Sky!" It's Sky. <laughs>
3: and you were both like, it's, who was he? Um, Mike looked at him and goes, how do I know him? And I went, Howard Stark. <laughs> and he goes, right. <laughs>
2: Is that your impression of
3: me? Yeah!
2: Right! Yeah. Well, it's
3: how it's stock. <laughs> Crikey! <laughs> like
2: a British monarch.
3: I'm more like an Australian
0: outlaw like
2: yeah, yeah.
3: So
0: he like scoops Marianne up mm-hmm. and brings her home. And Margaret runs in and she's like, Marianne's hurt! Blah, 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 blah. And Dominic Cooper comes in and puts her down. And this scene had me cracking up, honestly, because he just, like, keeps talking. He's like, oh, like, she'll be okay, blah, 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 blah. Nobody's looking at him. Nobody's listening to him. They're, like, running around, like, excuse me, you're in the way. And he's just
3: continuing on. And I think that's very much who this character is going to be. Mike makes a great point that this Willoughby, Dominic Cooper's Willoughby, really, like, exudes spoiled rich kid vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm
2: absolutely like more so than the 95 version just because like i i I think what's different about this one and it's even kind of like different from the book too is that like in this like you can kind of tell up front that this guy's no good Mm -hmm. you know it's not like a a secret to be like revealed later it's like this story is telling you this guy's up to no good this guy's trouble he's bad for marianne Colonel Brandon, like, pulls him aside later and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah and you know? Yeah, we'll totally
3: get there, but I do think it's true that in the 1995, and for the book as well, there's a real sense of, like, uh, playing hide the intention with Willoughby. The, like, you're supposed to really kind of like him up front. Maybe be a little suspicious, but, like, you're supposed to enjoy who he is, whereas in this one, they start off with his voice in a sex scene. Mm-hmm. And also, then you have up front just like immediate tension with Colonel Brandon who we know we're already supposed to love.
0: Yeah, and I love that they do that because in the book I also wondered, does Brandon already know? And I because it was kind of up for interpretation. Like, does Brandon know that Willoughby fucks around?
3: And in this they make it very clear that yes he does. Yeah. They're not they're not trying for that twist. They're they're going immediately for uh Marian's getting played.
1: I liked um as soon as they or when they came in, I forget who said it, but uh, somebody said uh, that Willoughby left muddy footprints in the passage and I, well, we, we paused at that moment and I was like I feel like that's a metaphor for like he's gonna muddy some like on entry he's making things muddy and dirty and like not like even from the get-go entering the movie or entering the book or whatever it's like it's it's muddy from the start so I was like ooh, having not seen or read it I was like that feels like a metaphor to me but ooh, I could itchy. be wrong I don't
3: know I mean it's also that moment where um the woman playing Marianne is playing like like deeply aroused. And she's like, oh my God, did you see his eyes? He has such fine eyes. Will it be a Valenim? Will it be a Valenim? And then Eleanor just goes, will it be a Valenim has left some very muddy footprints in the past.
1: The way it was said, I was like, ooh, what does that mean? I also liked that because
0: in the book, He says he doesn't want to leave a watermark, so he excuses himself and and because of that, and in, in this, he doesn't say that, he just like leaves and leaves his muddy footprints and without apologizing for them or anything. Hi listeners, it's Molly. So it turns out that having your significant others on your podcast is really, really fun, but it also results in you talking for 18 hours. So we're just going to cut this episode right here and give you part three of our conversation with Mel and Mike in the next episode. So until next time, stay proper and find someone with a stopwatch to keep you on track while recording your Jane Austen podcast.
1: Bye!
0: Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by SpeechDocs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.